0: Good morning again. If you would please turn to the book of James. Our text this morning will be James chapter one. Have you ever in life ignored a warning? Uh, once upon a time, I warned a young minister who was just getting started in his ministry career. Uh, he had a job offer at a church, and I told him, "You don't want to go to that church. Uh, that church will chew you up and spit you out." Okay, he ignored my warning. A few months later, he was on Facebook saying, guys, I need a job. My ministry is blowing up in my face, and they fired me. And, and I didn't say anything, but I wanted to say, I warned you, right? Now, I remember freshman year of college, uh, I had calculus at 8 a.m. every day, which is a bad idea. Okay? And my mom warned me. She said, you need to be sure that you go to bed at a reasonable hour so that you can get enough sleep. Okay? You're 18, 19 years old, you need to sleep. I ignored her warning, right? I'm a freshman in college. I stayed up late every night, got up early, went to class. Finally, my body said, you will sleep one way or the other. Uh, I got strep throat during finals week, missed a few days of crucial time, all because I, war- I ignored a warning from my mother, uh, who is not hesitant about saying, I told you so, right? Uh, I tell you those stories this morning because James in our text today gives us two warnings, after starting this letter with an emphasis on the practicality of faith, okay, in other words, faith is not just a mental exercise. You can say all day long, okay, I believe all these right things, but if faith doesn't change the way you live Monday through Saturday, you don't have a whole lot of faith. Okay, James says faith is practical. Okay, after that, he immediately gives us two specific pitfalls. He says we should avoid if we want to live as disciples of Jesus. Uh, so if you're taking notes, here's number one. He says, watch out for wealth. Okay, watch out for wealth. Notice starting in verse 9. Believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position. But the rich should take pride in their humiliation, since they will pass away like a wild flower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant. Its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich will fade away even while they go about their business. All right, we have talked numerous times before about the temptations of wealth. Uh, We won't rehash all of that this morning. We see this a lot of places in Scripture, right? The prophets talk about this, Jesus talks about this. You can't serve two masters, right? Paul will mention several times the dangers of wealth. Most recently from the pulpit we saw this as we were looking at the book of Hebrews, the last chapter of Hebrews. He says, "Watch out for being too rich. It's a problem." Okay, the Bible says a lot to us about not making money your god. Okay, we like to think we're so sophisticated, right? We would never fall down and worship idols carved of stone. Okay, but then immediately we turn around and worship at the altar of the almighty dollar, right? We know who our primary false god is okay we live in a culture that pushes us to define ourselves by our wealth and we tend to think that that's kind of a modern thing but it's really not that's something that ancient people struggled with just like we do okay they would dress in certain ways to show just how wealthy they were okay you want to make sure that if you're wealthy you don't dress like those people right i mean you want to look good you want to show your wealth in the clothing that you wear You know, a few months ago, I was shopping for a car, and I heard the salesman say things to me like, well, what would this car say about you, right? I'm thinking, you know, if I really need my car to say something about me, uh, then I'm awfully insecure. Okay, If you want to drive a nice car, drive a nice car, Okay, but don't drive a nice car because of some external thing that it will say about you and who you are. Okay, don't let your wealth, you know, where James even says at the other end of the scale, don't let your poverty define you. Okay, and sometimes it's harder to let our poverty define us more so than wealth, right? Sometimes it's harder when we're looking up at people who make more than we do and we let that define us. James says you are not what you make, right? You are not how much money you have in the bank. Don't live by your wealth. We live by faith. Okay, and to make this point, uh, James references a famous passage. We just read it. It's Isaiah chapter forty, in which God says, "The grass withers and the flowers fall. What is it that endures forever? It's the word of the Lord." Okay, what's his point? You know, I remember uh, back in two thousand and two, so a long, long time ago. Okay, two thousand and two, uh, my dad went and bought a new Nissan Sentra. Okay, it was red. And it was a beautiful car. Uh, It had that new car smell when you get in. Everyone loves the new car smell. That was my favorite part about shopping for a car, right? Was you get in and you'd smell all this new car smell. I love that smell. Okay, and this car was so cool, it even had a CD player in it. Built in, all right? Okay, a couple years after my dad bought this car, he gave it to me whenever I got married and moved to graduate school. Okay, Rachel and I got this car. That was our big present, and I loved it. It was a great car all right fast forward to a few months ago uh, when I was pouring coolant into this car every few days uh, to keep it working okay a few months ago only one of the four speakers in the car worked right so if you sat on the opposite corner of the car from where I sat driving the car you could hear really well but up where I was you had to turn up the volume quite a bit to hear the one speaker that was still working and it started crackling on me right so I knew this is not good Okay, also, uh, it's a stick shift car, and one of the springs broke in the stick shift, so the, the stick wouldn't stay in the middle anymore. Okay, you had to hold it while you drove, All right, which is hard to do when you've got your cell phone in one hand, your coffee in the other, <laughs> holding the gear shift, and you're trying to steer, right? That's a problem. Okay? All right, I was praying that that car would make it to the dealership before anything else broke. The fact that they actually gave me some money for it was just a bonus, right? All right, so what's James' point? What inevitably happens to all of those nice things, all of that wealth that we pursue? It starts off all shiny and new, but over time, what's it going to do? It's going to fade, it deteriorates, it breaks down. All of those nice things that we tend to chase with our lives only last for a relatively short time. You know, I read an article just this week talking about some of the reasons that we as people are obsessed with buying new things. Okay, and scientists have mapped out in our brains the pleasure centers that light up when we go shopping. Okay, there's a lot of us who are literally addicted to shopping because of the pleasure centers that lights up in our brains when we buy new stuff. There is a huge correlation between us as people getting depressed and us going out and buying new things. Why? Because it makes us feel better when we go out and buy something new, and so we're more likely to go shopping when we're feeling bad about ourselves because buying these new things makes us feel better. We literally can get addicted to new stuff. We tie our feelings to stuff. And James warns us, he says, it's a trap. As followers of Jesus, we should know better. If we base our sense of self-worth on our wealth, we inevitably will end up disappointed because we can always look to someone who's better off than we are, right? So James flips the cultural script. He says, if you're poor, take pride in that. And if you're rich... Just recognize how temporary that is. He says, do not fall into that pit. All right, so what's the alternative that he gives us? Uh, He says, instead of focusing on wealth, what we ought to be focusing on is on a crown of life that will last forever. Notice verse 12. He says, blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, because having stood the test, that person will receive a crown of life that the Lord has promised. to those who love him. Okay, I've got a couple of pictures from the ancient world on the slide right here because ironically, I think the crown of verse 12 that he's talking about uh, is the kind of crown that you would give an Olympian when they would win their event. Okay, we're not talking about the crown jewels here. This is not some massive golden thing with jewels on it. Okay, We're talking about a simple laurel wreath that they would give to a victor um, that would only last about as long as the parade for the victors, right? I mean, this is not something that you're going to pass on to subsequent generations, All right? So why does James use such a temporary image with this kind of crown when he's talking about a crown that will last us forever? Okay, because I think that what he's getting at is in the ancient world, uh, if you competed in the Olympics and you won your event, they called you an Olympic champion, Okay, and how long were you an Olympic champion? The rest of your life. Okay, it didn't matter what happened after that. They could never take that title away from you, right? They gave you a very temporary crown, but what they gave you that was permanent was a new identity, a new sense of who you were, a new title that could never be taken away from you, okay? This is before like drug testing and stuff when they could take away stuff, right? So what's he saying to us? He says, if we will avoid the trap of defining ourselves by our wealth, if we can take pride in our humility, if we can take pride in the fact that we don't have everything that we could possibly want in life, then we can find life. We can find it forever forever. If I define my inner being, my sense of self-worth, if I define my core identity on my relationship to Jesus, then nothing can take that away from me. I have a new title, a new identity that will last eternally. Okay, the first warning of this section of James is to focus on stuff that lasts. Okay, watch out for wealth. All right, number two, he next tells us to watch out for temptation. Watch out for temptation. Notice the next verse starting in 13. He says, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. right, here is a a conversation uh, that hasn't fully happened in my household, but I can look into the future and see that this is a conversation that will happen at some point in the not-too-distant future, okay? This is me projecting to a future argument that I'm going to have with my wife, and if she could quit listening for just a few minutes, that would be really helpful. Okay, but here's what's going to happen someday. I'm going to go to her, and I'm going to say, Rachel! Your sons are loudmouthed, sarcastic jerks. Okay, and she is going to look me in the eye, and she's going to say, "Well, whose fault is that, Sherlock?" And I'm going to think really hard, and I'm going to tell her, you know, those, those kids that they hang out with at school are really probably a bad influence on them. We should watch that more closely. Uh, and, you know, there's a lot of things that they watch on TV that we should probably watch out for a whole lot more. I think some combination of the kids they hang out with at school and the stuff they watch on TV is leading them to being these sarcastic little jerks that you are raising. And so you, honey, should probably watch that a little bit closer, right? Okay, no, if my kids grow up talking like I do, then whose fault is it? It's mine. Okay, but what's my natural inclination? It's to shift the blame, right? I want to blame something else. I don't want to blame me. I don't want to have to admit responsibility for the stuff that I do. I think most of us have black belts in shifting blame. Okay, and we go to Scripture and we realize we come by that quite honestly, right? Right? Go to the very first stories. What does Adam do when God shows up and says, Adam, you messed up? He says, well, Lord, it's the woman that you put in this garden with me. Okay? So what's Adam doing? He's saying, well, God, it's kind of your fault and it's kind of her fault. Right? So God goes to the woman and says, okay, woman, you messed up. And what does she say? Well, Lord, it's that snake that came and tempted me. It's not my fault. It's the snake's fault. Okay, what do we do every time we get caught doing stuff we shouldn't do? We immediately like to shift the blame. In okay, the warning to watch out for temptation, James tells us, he says, don't try to shift the blame to God. Right, when you're facing temptations in your life, no matter what the temptation is, okay? he just finished talking about financial temptation, but this works for everything else too. Sexual temptation, prideful temptation, whatever it is, he says, don't try to shift the blame elsewhere. Okay, and we just like them in the garden. If we don't blame God, we like to blame Satan. Okay, and, and don't get me wrong. I believe fully in Satan. I think Satan is tempting us. I think Satan's well at work trying to get us off track. Okay, but you notice that that's not the move that James makes here. Okay, it is way too easy to say, well, the devil made me do it, which is just another way of saying, well, it's not my fault. Okay, but James tells us, he says, the reason that we are facing temptation is because we have our own evil desires, okay? All of us are born selfish, and the course of our life, what we're supposed to be doing is becoming less like ourselves and more like Jesus, okay? And if you ever doubt that we are born selfish, just look at how toddlers act with each other, Right? Just the other day, my four-year-old took a toy and just beamed his brother right in the head with it. Okay? Luke starts crying. I go to Sam and say, Sam, do you want me to do that to you? How would you feel if I took a toy and hit you in the head with it? Do you want me to do that? No, Daddy, I don't. Okay, then don't do that to your brother. Right? Why do they do stuff like that? Okay? Because they're selfish. They're born selfish. Right? Part of the process of us maturing as people, as Christians, is to hopefully become less selfish selfish, less concerned with ourselves, and more concerned about looking out for other people around us. How do I have less of self and more of thee? Okay, but this is radically different, I think, from what society would have us to believe. I think one of the worst pieces of advice that the world repeatedly throws out to us and keeps telling us is that the the key to true self-confidence and contentment is to be yourself, right? I think we get that advice a lot. You should just learn how to be yourself. You really want to be content. You really want to be okay in life. Just learn how to be yourself. Be true to yourself. I I found some quotes to this effect I thought I'd share with you. Uh, First one from Shakespeare. He says, this above all, to thine own self, be true. Here's another one from Frederick Douglass. He says, I prefer to be true to myself, even at the hazard of incurring the ridicule of others, rather than to be false and to incur my own abhorrence. Okay, that sounds really good, right? When he says it like that. All right, now we leave the uh, realm of Shakespeare and Frederick Douglass and we go down to something more contemporary and a little more crass. Okay, This next quote is from uh, Letitia Costa. She says, real beauty is to be true to oneself. That's what makes me feel good. Of course, when you're a Victoria's Secret model, it's easy to tell other people what real beauty is, right? All right, next quote from Musique Soulchild. He says, be true to yourself. Stay focused and stay you. Take advice from other folks. Use what you can, but never mind what is not for you. For the most part, trust yourself and believe in what you are doing. All right, and finally, we could do this all day, but here's just one more. This is from Emily Griffin. She says, everyone wants to belong or to be a part of something bigger than themselves. But it's important to follow your heart and be true to yourself in the process. Okay, what's the common theme of all of this? It's you really want to be happy. You really want to be content. You really want to find what life is all about. What you need to do is find your heart's desires, find what's really all about you, and be true to that. Be true to yourself. All right, and I understand that part of what all of these people are talking about uh, is they're saying don't be hypocritical. okay? Don't pretend to be something you're not. And don't spend your life worrying about what other people think. Okay, and all of that is good advice. I agree with that. Okay, but what I disagree with, however, what I think is dangerous in the thought of just be true to yourself is that your heart or your desires or your inner passions are not a good barometer for what should be the focus of your life. Okay, Jesus never utters the phrase, just follow your dreams. Okay, when Jesus shows up, there's a lot of dreams that the people of Israel had for themselves and what their heart's desires were and what they really wanted their future to look like. And what Jesus does is he doesn't say, okay, let's find out a way to make that happen. He says, no, you need to learn a new dream, and your new dream is something that I can give you that is much better than what you thought your heart really desired. Jesus doesn't say, follow your dreams. He says, follow me, and I will give you rest. Okay, I contend that if we really just follow the advice of be true to yourself, we will end up a complete mess. Okay, I'm not content with the way my life is right now. I think I still have a lot of selfishness. I think I still have sinful desires. I don't want to be true to who I am. I want to be true to God. Okay, I think that will make me a better person ...than I could ever be on my own. Okay, so what's the alternative to temptation? James tells us if we can avoid this second trap... ...if we can avoid this second pitfall... ...then we will be to God a kind of first fruits. Okay, notice starting in verse 16. He says, Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above... ...coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights... Who does not change like shifting shadows? He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. All right, the image that we get in Scripture, and we go back to the very beginning, and we read about how God created the world perfectly. Okay, chapters 1 and 2 of the Bible are all about how God creates a perfect creation. Then in chapter 3, we read about how sin enters the world. Messes up God's perfect creation. But then the rest of the Bible is all about how God, through Jesus, is beginning this process of recreation. Okay, And someday, Jesus will come back and he will finish the process of restoring God's creation to the perfection that it was in Genesis 1 and 2. In fact, the whole Bible is framed by two garden scenes. Okay, the first picture of the Bible is a perfect garden. The last picture in Revelation is a perfect garden. Where are we going? We are going to where Jesus will recreate the world and reestablish perfection. Okay, what James is telling us is that if we will follow Jesus now, if we will avoid those temptations, if we will avoid being true to ourselves and will instead be true to Jesus, we get to be the first fruits of that new creation. We don't have to wait until Jesus comes back to start experiencing all the things that God has promised us with life and joy and godliness and peace. We can experience that now by being the first fruits, by being recreated now. You want to experience joy? Follow Jesus now. You know, someone said to me recently uh, that the best way to learn is to make mistakes. Which, if you make some mistakes, you learn some lessons, right? But I contend that the best way to learn is to learn from other people's mistakes, right? Okay, James is giving us two warnings here. I want us to watch out for wealth, and I want us to watch out to our own temptations. To as large of an extent as possible, I would much rather learn those lessons from James and from observing the world around me uh, than from learning those the hard way. And yet again, James says the key to all of this is follow Jesus. You want to know how to live life? Don't follow yourself. Follow Jesus. You want to find joy and contentment? Follow Jesus. You want to avoid these traps like wealth and all of these other things that tempt us? Follow Jesus. You want to know how to live a life that works? Follow Jesus. All right, we'll continue this study um, as we continue going through the book of James. But today, at this time in our service, we now have an opportunity uh, for an invitation. Uh, This is a time where us as a church will sing a song and we will be here for you. I will be down front. One of our shepherds will be down front. If we can pray with you or study scripture with you or teach you more about what it means to follow Jesus, we would love to have the opportunity to do that during this next song. Before we sing that song, however, I'd like to close us with a word of blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you. May the Lord be gracious to you and give you peace. Let's stand and sing.